Hey folks, welcome to Bad GM's Campaign Build-Along. I'm the Bad GM, Wayne Davis, and this is the show where we build an entire campaign for you from scratch that you can use for your group whenever you want. This season, we're building a game for the Fallout role-playing game, so grab your copy of the rulebook and keep it handy because we'll reference it from time to time during the show. By the way, if you don't have a copy, head over to your local game shop or bookstore or grab a copy online from the Modifius Entertainment website, M-O-D-I-P-H-I-U-S dot org. Since we're into episode three of the new season, this is the point where we get into our actual setting creation. If you think back to last season, we built an entire starting city for you to use in the game, then we expanded into the wilder world of Deadlands. This time around, we're going to do things a bit differently. If you're at all familiar with the Fallout video game, and if you're not, then here's a free plug for Bethesda, the company that currently produces the game, might I suggest you check out Fallout 3 or Fallout 4 and get yourself familiar with it. There are also various YouTube videos out there that'll bring you up to speed if need be. Sorry, I got derailed there for a second. If you're at all familiar with the Fallout video games, there's a lot of back history and locations that the various titles used. The TLDR on this is that Fallout 4, and therefore the Fallout role-playing game, uses what they call the Commonwealth as its setting. For those of us aware of U.S. geography, the Commonwealth consists of Boston, Cambridge, and the surrounding area of those cities in Massachusetts. Now, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that setting. I'm, I'm personally very fond of the history in that region of the United States. We can also note that Fallout Vegas uses the Las Vegas area in Nevada for its setting, and Fallout 3 sets their stuff primarily in California. Now, as I've noted in more than one episode of both of my podcasts, I live in the metropolitan St. Louis area in the Midwest of the United States. So for the purposes of this show, we're building our campaign in that part of the country. That being said... Feel free to set our campaign wherever you want. Leave it in the Commonwealth if you want, or adapt and adjust it to where you live. I've seen mods online where folks have adapted it to London, Frankfurt, New Delhi, and other locales around the world. My goal is to make what we're doing easy for you to lift out and drop into classic locations where you live. However, since I am setting it in St. Louis, if you're curious about some of these locations I'll be mentioning as we go along, you can Google search them and get an idea of what they look like today in the real world, as well as get some background history on them, which I plan to integrate into the campaign as we roll along. Now, I've gone back and forth a hundred different times since I decided to set my campaign in St. Louis about maps. When I first started, I had a map of the Metro St. Louis area I'd found online, and I was marking in where I wanted various things to go. Then a month or so ago, a friend of the show and Bad GM Productions family member, Justin Moore, sent me a map a friend of his had worked up that was an actual fallout map of the St. Louis area. However, when I went to print it out for use in creating the setting, I was having difficulties getting it to print properly. In the meanwhile, I'd lost the original map I'd been using. So, I'm back to square one and building a setting for the campaign. That's good for you, though, since I'll be detailing what I'm doing while I'm doing it. The very first thing I want to do is lay out the landmarks and buildings that most visitors to the area or casual observers of the area would know and or recognize. The Gateway Arch, Bush Stadium, Forest Park, Bevo Mill, and the Anheuser-Busch Brewery are five that come to mind immediately. Now, there are way more than that, obviously, but these five will have a special or important quality or use in-game. Next, I need to decide how much area I want to build out to start the game. Truth be told, before it's all said and done, we'll probably use some of the area on the eastern side of the Mississippi River, 
But I'm not going to worry about that at the start because I don't intend to go that way for quite some time, which gives me some time to decide what we're going to need. I also know that the group may need to head west at some point. And by west, I mean out of the city of St. Louis, St. Louis County. By the way, those are separate entities just for the record and head into what's called St. Charles County. Again, though, that's down the line. North, that's always a possibility as well, though I know we're going to use the north side of the city basically from the beginning, and I don't plan on the group going any further south than the southern St. Louis County line. That being said, plans can and do change. Again, if any of what I'm saying doesn't make sense because it's specific to my hometown area, just put it into terms that relate to where you're from or an area that you're particularly fond of and know enough about to set a story in. So with the basic outline of the area we're going to use in mind, it's time to decide how we're going to use the five landmarks I named up front. Now, the Gateway Arch is going to look a bit different in our timeline than it does in reality. Again, Fallout has a 1950s retro future feel to it. So things are going to look a lot different. In this game, the arch has a bit of a steampunk feel to it. Instead of being sheer smooth sides, there's almost a bit of Eiffel Tower style rivets and bolts to it, along with small ledges running about every 45 to 50 feet. The big change to the arch would be the very large antenna mounted on the arch curve at the top. Those don't exist in the real world, but in the Fallout world, they were mounted on there during World War II and were modified when the Cold War with the Chinese began to heat up. Again, there are some retro futuristic designs utilized in the antenna, and I'm going to leave the specifics of that up to you, because what I see in my head when I mention it might not be what you see, and I always believe in you running things how you see them. Let's move on to discussing Bush Stadium. For those not in the know, that's the home field for the St. Louis Cardinals, who just happen to be the National League Baseball team with the most World Series championships. Yes, I know, Yankees fans, your team's won more overall than anyone. Thank you for the reminder. Anyway, the current stadium already has a bit of a retro feel to it, due primarily to it being designed by the same group that designed Camden Yards in Baltimore, among other stadiums. For me, though, we're going to go even more retro than that, because see, this version of Bush Stadium is the third stadium to carry the name. For our design, we're going back to the original Bush Stadium, which was known as Sportsman Park for the majority of its life. Now, if you want retro, that's retro. Wooden bleachers that aren't a ton of rows deep, spacious field and foul lines. It gives that 1940s, 1950s feel to it. And since Sportsman's Park was still being used in the 1950s, because it wasn't destroyed until the late 1960s, and had been built in the early 1920s, it's entirely plausible that the park was standing when the bombs were dropped. Granted, in the real world, the park wouldn't be in the spot the current stadium is in, but we're going to take a little creative license and work with what we've got. For our purposes, Vault 63 was built under the outfield of the stadium, and therefore the stadium itself turned into a de facto city when the vault dwellers exited and began scavenging the city for resources. Yes, this is our campaign equivalent to Fallout 4's Diamond City, but we'll have another city in a stadium coming up later. Maybe not in today's episode, but we'll cover it in another show. I can tell you that my group has one vault dweller, and this will be the vault he came out of. I'll probably put a couple more vaults in other strategic locations around the area, but since I plan on starting the game in the heart of downtown, we only need the single vault 
at this time. Next up is working Forest Park into the equation. Again, for those not from the area, Forest Park is an exceptionally large section of greenery on the edge of the St. Louis city limits. Located on the western edge of the city, it's bordered by Interstate 64 to the south, Barnes Jewish Hospital to the east, Washington University to the west, and houses and small businesses to the north. It contains the St. Louis Zoo, the Missouri History Museum, the Jewel Box, which has a great collection of flowers and plants, the Muni Theater, which is an outdoor theater that brings in Broadway-quality plays and musicals all summer long, and the Art Museum. There are tons of bike trails, ponds, and other spots around the park, which makes all of this fertile ground for, well, something. My overall theory here is that some of the animals from the zoo survived the bombs. Heavily full of radiation, they've mutated. Worse still, they've escaped the zoo and used the park as their hunting grounds. The only thing keeping them inside the park is some sort of fencing system that causes them excruciating pain if they try to cross the border. It's going to be along the same lines as an invisible fence you'd use for your dog, only with the power cranked up about 100 times stronger due to the dangerous nature of some of the animals in the zoo. I'm still working up the specifics on this, but we've got enough to start with. Bevo Mill is located on the southern border of the city and was where a great many of the German immigrants who settled in St. Louis happened to settle. There's actually a windmill in the area, and the area gets its name from that. For the record, the windmill doesn't work. For years, it did contain a restaurant frequented by many of the area's big names. That restaurant closed years ago, but the windmill remains for the moment. In our game, Bevo Mill was still a functioning restaurant when the bombs dropped. I see it as a damaged yet still useful base for someone or something. We'll probably put a scavenger team in here, or depending on how long it takes to get down here, some super mutants or synths or something. That's all to be decided a little later on. Last on this list is the Anheuser-Busch Brewery. Pretty sure there's a whole lot of you that might know this one. For those who don't, it's one of the largest breweries not only in the United States, but the world. It was acquired by InBev several years back, but is still pumping out a whole lot of Budweiser and other popular beers. Now, we're going to change the brewery for our game. Since it's so gosh darn big, I've decided that this would be the plant in the Midwest that would be cranking out Nuka-Cola. We'll go with the InBev purchase since it would be well before the bombs dropped, and we'll just move along with InBev deciding that instead of beer, the population wants Nuka-Cola. If you happen to be familiar with the video game, you know how right that thought is. Now, with that particular change comes another change I need to make. Directly west of the Anheuser-Busch Brewery is the old Lemp Brewery and Mansion. In reality, the brewery hasn't been run in decades. In fact, the Lemp Mansion on the property is used as a restaurant, but also a venue for parties and other events. However, in the game, we'll use the Lemp Brewery, much like Fallout 4 uses the Gwinnett Brewery. I'll even work up some names for some of the beers, but again, we'll, we'll get to that. Another Fallout 4 touch we'll be bringing into the campaign are Red Rocket gas stations. In the video game, they seem to be pretty much everywhere. Now, St. Louis has a real world equal to this with the Quick Trip brand, so swapping out Quick Trip for Red Rocket is a pretty easy choice. Oh, and if you don't know what a Quick Trip station is, look up Quick Trip online and check it out. Okay, so we've got a few locations scouted out and figured out for this campaign. What about some of the groups and organizations? <laughs> Unlike last season, this time around, I know who and what our big bad evil guy is before we ever roll our first die. 
However, since I know the bulk of my group listens to this podcast, I'm not going to get into too many details. I will say it's a corporation, which gives us a whole lot of fertile ground to play on. At this point, though, I'm not going to go any further than that. If you're curious, hit me up on the socials and I'll lay out what I've got worked up to this point. Now, I've created a few brands of my own for the campaign. Tasty Brew is going to be the name of the brewery that set up shop at Lemp. Just makes it easier for me to do it that way. Fundamental, with the F-U-N capitalized, is a line of kids' toys that became exceptionally popular in the year or so before the bombs dropped. They're a mix of the old KB toys and FAO Schwartz, and their stores have a very distinctive fun in neon on the building. Again, this is going to give us some interesting areas for the group to play in. Garson Tactical was a manufacturer of firearms, ammunition, and other tactical supplies for the U.S. Army during the war. Their factory was on the north side of the city, but it was also a primary target of bombs when the first nukes were dropped. That doesn't mean there isn't stuff there to find. It just means that even all these years later, there's so much radiation there that there aren't too many scavengers with the guts to go digging there. There might also be an interesting encounter or two for the brave soul who decides to try it. Next up is Fatties. Fatties was founded by Franklin Fatty Monroe and is the classic 1950s-style drive-in restaurant. It had car hops and poodle skirts on roller skates and was the place to be for hamburgers, french fries, or chips, as our friends in the UK call them, and milkshakes. Again, these are spots that might be fertile ground for scavenging. So... We've got locations. How about some groups for our adventures to run into? Well, we'll start with the crew. That's K-R-E-W. These are scavenger types who grew up in the shadow of what in the real world is the Dome at America Center. The area was overrun within days of the blasts and a decent majority of the folks who entered it were protected because of all the falling debris from surrounding buildings covering up holes in the dome as well as blocking off all the exits. Needless to say, when you've got that many people in a space like that, groups will form to basically protect their turf and their families. The crew is mostly super mutants for reasons we'll explore during the game itself. However, there are some regular folks in the group that are used to handle the more delicate negotiations, since not everything in life can be solved with the application of brute force. Sorry about that. As our campaign begins, the crew basically runs the dome and several blocks around it. And yes, I'm going to put the dome into the setting. I'm not sure exactly what that's going to look like yet, but I'm working on it. And I'll have Gabe post a picture to the website when I find something that matches the vision I have in my head. High Intelligence is the next group on our list. For the record, they don't call themselves that. The name comes from those who've had dealings with them. The group's actual name is Technical Security Services by Intelligent Beings, which should tell you exactly what we're dealing with. Robots. Somewhere along the line, several of these robots were reprogrammed, but some of the original programming wasn't completely wiped. So over the course of time and multiple upgrades, the robots gained sentience. The group's goals are to hoard information, hoard supplies, and hoard bottle caps, and they have robots searching piles of rubble all over the city on the regular looking for supplies. I was originally going to put the headquarters for high intelligence in the old Soulard Market on the south side of downtown, but we're going to actually wind up starting our campaign there, so I'm going to have to relocate it, and I'll let you know where I'm going to put that at a later time, because the group is going to run into high intelligence pretty early on in the campaign. Next up is Marvin's Carvins. It's a weird name, but uh, then again, so is Marvin. He's a scavenger, but over time, he soaked up enough radiation that he's about a half step away from being a ghoul. 
Somewhere along the line, he decided he's on a mission from God to save humanity. His method of saving them is by killing them. And he's got a group of devoted followers willing to assist him in his goals. Marvin's Carvins operate all over the downtown area, so our group will most likely have multiple run-ins with them. I don't have a definite base of operations for Marvin just yet, but like with some of the other things we've detailed today, we really don't need that to get started. So we detailed what's going on in Forest Park. What I didn't mention is the zookeeper. It's a Mr. Handy whose programming malfunctioned. Nobody's been able to figure out how or why, but it happened. And when it did, he took over the entirety of Forest Park and is most likely the individual who cooked up the system for keeping the animals in. However, it's also known that a couple of the animals get out from time to time. So some folks are curious as to whether it's accidental or intentional. I don't have a definite personality for the zookeeper worked out yet, but you can bet it's going to be a little off. Last up are the Fraternal Brothers of Humanity. These are a group of vault dwellers who came from Vault 63, but decided not to join the others in building the community there. They are exceptionally anti-robot, anti-ghoul, and basically anti-anybody who didn't come from a vault. Run-ins with the FBH pretty much are always violent, since they'll typically shoot first and answer questions later. Their base of operations is in the city's central west end, though again, I haven't nailed down an exact location. They do scavenge around the downtown area frequently, though, so our group will most likely have a run-in or two with them early on in the game. Okay, so we have the basics of a setting nailed down, which will be enough for us to start building our campaign. We'll start doing that next week. Before we do that, though, I'll introduce you to the characters in my campaign so you'll have an idea of who's who when we do our recaps as the show rolls along. Again, though, we're going to do all of that next week. I do have a note on all of that, though. Rather than drop in some sort of one-shot of another system during the break between finishing the Deadlands game and the official start of my Fallout game, which is in January, my group requested a test game so that we could get all comfortable with the rules before we started playing in the campaign. To make that possible, I purchased the PDF of the Fallout Starter Kit from the Modifius website, and it has an adventure module in it. I'm running that adventure, and the original idea was to run it, then wipe the slate clean for the start of the campaign. However, after our game the last go-around, the majority of the group asked if it would be possible for them to keep all of their gains for the start of the new campaign, and I have decided to allow it. So, for those of you starting from scratch on a campaign... The way we're going to do the build is going to, it's going to work for you because I'm going to build it for you to run from scratch and then I will make modifications as need be because my group will be higher level as they start. It's not a big deal. I just want to make sure that you're aware that the recaps are going to sound a little different than the build again because the group's going to go in at a higher level. Okay, so I think we've reached a pretty good stop point for today's show. So let's just go ahead and wrap this up. If you're searching for more gaming content, might I suggest our other fine podcast, Role-Playing History. This week, we do a deep dive into the Amber Diceless Role-Playing Game, and it's not only a very different style of role-playing game, but also a very interesting one to play. Role-Playing History is available wherever you get your podcasts or from our website, badgmproductions.net. All Fallout role-playing game materials referenced on this show are the trademarked and copyrighted property of Modifius Entertainment through their license with Bethesda Games, and they are used here for entertainment purposes only. If you're interested in this or any of their other fine games, you can pick them up at your local game shop or from their website, modiphius.net. The music we use for this show comes from pixabay.com. Check them out for all your license-free, royalty-free music needs. 
Bad GM's campaign build along is a production of Bad GM Productions. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash gaming forward slash Bad GM Prod, on Twitter at Bad GMP, YouTube and Tumblr, it's Bad GM Productions. You can email us badgmproductions at gmail.com and online the website is badgmproductions.net. Next week, we build. <laughs> Until then, I'm the bad GM, Wayne Davis, and I'll see you at the game table.